Hello and thank you for tuning in to the weekend special of the Federalist Files on today's show. Another conservative canceled. Mark Cuban ditches the national anthem. More Chinese influence in our government. And finally, some news about the debt. But first, check out the media coverage of Andrew Cuomo. We're sitting by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity. Governor Cuomo, um, out there day after day after day, everything Trump isn't. Honest, direct, brave. Real leadership of the kind the president of the United States should have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality, the actual one, than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you were sending soldiers off to war. This has been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, no. I think, is, is, is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. With all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? Andrew Cuomo, who has a daily television show now uh, and has become, in some ways, the shadow uh, president. Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has become a kind of acting president. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home. So, folks, uh, welcome to the Federalist Files. I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. I have a pretty jam-packed show. I just wanted to start off with this first. Just some housekeeping. I will be doing now, from now on, Monday and Friday will be, I'll have two Federalist Files episodes instead of Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I'm making this decision just because of, for sake of time for myself, I don't have much free time and I want to give you the best content I can. So if I'm trying to squeeze in, so much content in a week then it takes away time from me being able to report current events doing federal's files uh doing federal's paper podcasts but also is because when i come out usually on wednesday i come out wednesday night with one of my federal's papers and then thursday morning i come out with a podcast that's usually recorded on wednesday night it's kind of taking people longer to uh, catch up. I think I'm, maybe it, I'm putting out too much content, so I'm actually going to tone it down a little bit, which is it's good for me, and it's also good for people that are looking to, um, to catch up. And then it's also better for you to solidify the thoughts that I have in these, in these uh, Federalist papers. If you're listening constantly, one after the other, very consistently, it's kind of harder to remember what actually goes on in each one. So it's kind of good that... Um, that I'm slowing down the progression of that. So to start off with this now, Andrew Cuomo, as you can see, the media heavily fawned over him. It's about it's about a minute and a half long uh, clip I just showed showed you all. Now, this recent news just came out. It's a New York Post piece written by uh, a bunch of people: Bernadette Hogan, Carl Campanelli, and uh, Bruce Golding, and, and I'm in this exclusive as well. Uh, Cuomo aide Melissa DeRosa admits they hid nursing home data so feds wouldn't find out. This just recently came out. It's pretty much bombshell, but it goes to show how how uh, incompetent our media was because they were not on the ball on this. There's no investigative journalism currently going on with our legacy me legacy media class at all. There's just there is zero of that occurring right now in modern society. There is a fawning and there is a bootlicking from the media to the Democrat Party. 
they don't hold them accountable for anything. So when it's actually done, some sort of investigative journalism is done, then you have a huge uproar from the people because it's almost like they're so surprised and then of course once again it's it's suppressed most people probably don't actually know about this story it seems like it hasn't gotten much coverage other than conservative media now the cuomo aide melissa DeRosa, she admits they hid nursing home data so the feds wouldn't find out she admitted this uh, as by this article she admitted it in the middle of the in the middle of a uh I guess it was some sort of a Democratic leaders meeting, a video conference call where they were, they were, I guess they were, were not, we froze out of fear. The true numbers would be used against us by federal prosecutors. So they were withholding the state's nursing home death toll. And another thing is, I think there was some sort of a legislative action to get this this information out. Oh, okay, legislative request. So I'm going to read this off. The stunning admission of a cover-up was made by Secretary of the Governor Melissa DeRosa during a video conference call with state Democratic leaders in which she said the Cuomo administration had rebuffed a legislative request for the tally in August because, and I quote, right around the same time, then-President Donald Trump turns this into a gigantic or a giant political football, according to a recording, an audio recording of the two-hour-plus meeting. He starts off by, and this is this is DeRosa speaking. She states, he starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing homes. He starts going after New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Starts going after California Governor Gavin Newsom. Starts going after Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. All Democrats, obviously. And, and that's because all of them did do this. They had this, except for, I don't know uh, Newsom exactly what he had with the policy in the nursing homes, but in particular, Murphy, Whitmer, as well as Cuomo, they all were sending people that were COVID positive and still had COVID in their system to nursing homes. And then they became these huge spread centers where it became rampant in those, in those uh, nursing homes where there was a... Um, a tragic loss of life on a grand scale. So this is just this is just the article who are going through pretty much everything that happened. So they really withhold. Essentially, they withhold data. They withheld data, and the reason they did that is because it was a, it was <laughs> it was an election season coming up. Because it would make all the Democrats look very bad. It would it would show that no matter what the media was doing. And, and the media, like they suppressed this story, they also suppressed the Hunter Biden story for the sake of the election. It would show that the Democrats don't know how to govern their states, essentially, and, and their governing by executive fiat came to blow up in their face. And they covered this up, they suppressed the story, and now all this information is going to slowly trickle out, as always, the media won't cover. And you've been noticing some of this stuff, some some more stuff is kind of slowly trickling out from before the election, from the, the media, the legacy media class, or the left-wing media. They'll slowly come out with the information because they know it's going to come out. And they don't want the story to be that they suppressed it. So they'll come out with it now after the fact. 
but they'll be very late on it, just like they are with this Lincoln Project story. This guy named John Weaver is a co-founder. Anyone that is not familiar, Lincoln Project are these Republicans, but they're like establishment Republicans that got together and got huge donors that were Democrats and big rich dudes to pay into their organization, and then they would fight against Trump to win the election, and I guess they would do get-out-to-vote campaigns. I don't really know what their job actually was, what they actually were uh, in charge of, or what they did that was effective, but it's a $90 million organization from what I read, the amount of money that was flowing through, and this was they were they were created over the last, I think, like two years. And this story came out, the co-founder, John Weaver, is actually courting young boys, underage boys, underage uh, kids, essentially, and messing around and doing sexual things with them. All that information came out. That came out probably about a month ago. And now the now the media is kind of starting. To, and, and, you know, this is because the, the Lincoln Project played a profound role in getting Biden elected. But they're not going to cover this, so now they're going to slowly let this information trickle out. And this was information that was, I mean, this was reported at least a month ago. Carl Rove's, uh, he's he's also a Republican. He's on Fox News. He said this years ago, and everyone pretty much pointed at him and laughed. And this was something he he stated this, and apparently it's some sort of inside thing that certain people knew about, and then they're making it like in the Lincoln Project they don't know about it. But the but the moral of the story here is that the media continues to just not report anything there's just like a non uh a non-compliance from our media or if it's a it's a it's a you know non-feasance i don't even know what to call it at this point they really just they don't report things and it's purposeful they just just decide not to do their job what they're supposed to do and they're doing the the classic fear porn of whether it's COVID-19 or it's Trump and Trump's not even the president I mean Trump Trump today just got acquitted on his uh on the impeachment you had 57 people voted for him in favor of impeachment the guy isn't president anymore they're still talking about like we're still talking about this guy and I don't even want to honestly I mean I can I like to draw comparisons from previous administrations which is the reason that I bring them up and then you know the reason for the pro-america the movement towards pro-america in the republican party or in the conservative party is be partially because of trump he's partially accountable for that so i'll mention him here and there but it's just it's like the left wing is so obsessed that they just cannot get the dude out of their heads it just continues to perpetuate them talking about trump over and over again and it's like why don't we pay attention to the current administration what is it that they're doing uh, <laughs> that is detrimental to our country right now. And I'll have some statistics at the very end of the show on some economics. And actually, it seems it's not as grim as you would think. In terms of our economy, It is. it seems like the innovation has made up for this year in which we really lost a lot of small businesses. But the innovation has been picking up and our country is getting more and more economically powerful and robust. But the only problem is, is we're going to be carried out by the debt. We're going to be carried down by the debt. So I'm going to go on here. Start up. So, got a lot, of, like I said, got a lot of information. Cover that Cuomo deal. To start up. So, so, so next is, this is another story that was uh, huge in the media this week. It was prominent. Gina Carino, because of a couple tweets, she got fired. Uh, that's also a New York Post article that I have. So she was she was on Twitter. I guess she was known from based off. I read a couple of her different tweets, but in particular, the one thing that got her 
taken off and it looks like it isn't even a tweet it looks like it was a facebook like a story that you post or an instagram story and i have it up here on the screen so what it is you got a just a visual for the podcast listener so you got a woman running away and it looks like little kids and other other i guess civilians there chasing her with a wooden bats from what it looks like and the caption reads, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. And it has a quote here. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Question mark. So she posts this. She gets fired. She She's on The Mandalorian. I guess it's some sort of series for Star Wars. I'm not really familiar. I don't really care much for Star Wars myself. It's kind of like an older thing. It's like a generation before me kind of thing. She she got in trouble for this. They fired her. And she was also known, if you go and you look on her Twitter, she has some, some conservative tweets. She talks about election, integrity, you know, voter ID, stuff of that nature. Uh, she was also an MMA fighter. She's pretty badass overall. So she got she ends up getting picked up, but but the moral of this story is she got picked up by Daily Wire. She's going to act in one of their new films. So it's good for her. She has her you know, she has a job, but the the left is it's it's ironic because she goes ahead. She goes, "Okay. Cancel culture is a really bad thing. Groupthink also is a very bad thing. Look what it leads to." And you know, you point at point at World War 2, you point at Nazis. Usually I don't really like the Nazi comparison in a general sense because I think it's always, it's it's trite and it's overused. But that's what she does. That is now a cancelable offense for somebody on our side. So so ironically, someone that complains and, and warns the people about groupthink in turn gets fired by groupthink. Or this, and, and, and next, and then her, her co-worker here, so I also have a tweet from him as well. I have, and this is her co-worker. And uh, Pedro Pascal, he slash him, so he's a liberal. He has to put his pronouns on his uh, on his account on Twitter. And this really, just so everyone knows, I mean, maybe the young people that listen, maybe this resonates with you. But doing the whole pronoun thing, the whole I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and there's certain words that you can't say and can say, and all of this. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the N word. I'm talking about uh, the F word. And I'm not talking about the 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 one that rhymes with truck, but the other one that rhymes with bag. You can't say that word. You can't say the R word. There's all these words that you now suddenly can't say. This does not resonate with. This may resonate with the young liberal voters, but it, the working class person that that works in a construction site, electrician, uh, just work, uh, bartender, people that know some sort of skill or trade, or just middle class working individuals, especially people that are not, you know, of the millennial age or below that. This this whole like he him the pronoun thing being inclusive all this this does does not resonate with people they're not gonna say it out loud because it's politically incorrect but I'm just letting personal conversations that I have in a general sense it just does not resonate with anybody they don't believe in it they think it's a giant joke they think it's a farce um, now it is being kids are being indoctrinated into this culture this these ideas through our public education system. Uh, I think in the future, maybe maybe we're gonna we're gonna get more and more authoritarian from what this seems like. But this here up on the screen, this is Pedro Pascal. This is one of her, well, was one of her co-actors, I guess you would call it. 
and he says, this is America. And it's a picture of Germany in 1944, and it's the Jews in, in their um, concentration camps. And then the other photo is America 2018, and it's kids in cages from um, from when they were separating children at the border, in the southern border, and putting them in detention facilities. So he's comparing. He's here's what my point is: is how can he compare one to the other? But she can't compare one to the other. So this has nothing to actually do with making the comparison or drawing the comparison. It's just your political ideology doesn't align with ours, so we get rid of you. And the left is taking a huge victory lap about this. I see people all over uh, social media getting all happy. I don't, I don't really understand. You know what it is? We have a bunch of re- really weak people in society that have no power over their own individual lives. And it seems like they don't want to have any power over their own individual lives. They want to just go around and tell other people how how to live their lives and what to do and fire them because then that makes them in turn feel powerful by fire by getting other people fired it's a very weird power dynamic here where the people themselves don't want to empower themselves by working working hard getting making more money obtaining more capital you know using that money then to invest and in, or to create a business or employ people help other people out help out that your neighbor you know donate money to your local charity or something like nobody wants those kind of powers nobody wants any of that but they kind of want the power to just end people's careers like that because they're jealous of their success it's very odd what we're going through right now um you know, as as a conservative, I wouldn't want some liberal for posting what I mean. This guy obviously I disagree with what the uh, the similarity is trying to draw here, but I don't want him canceled. I just don't care. I don't care that much. I don't want somebody like fired from their job. What I would do is, and I'm not even a huge fan of boycotts, but at this point in our in our movement, I think it's gonna have to happen, and that's because. Oh, and another thing I want to add to this, speaking of people that also got uh, suspended or got fired, Project Veritas uh, got got suspended from Twitter permanently, so they got expelled from Twitter. Red State article written by Nick Arama. You got Project Veritas Christian Hartsock was asking Facebook, and this is what they got. They ended up, this is what suspended them permanently, and it has nothing to do with this. They really got suspended because... Uh, James O'Keefe caught them on video in a conference call looking like fools talking about how they were going to suppress conservative content, shut down hate speech, and, and, and permanently suspend people. So this is what they said. This is really the, the proximate cause of, of their suspension, but it really wasn't actually the cause of their suspension. Project Veritas's Christian Hartsock was asking Facebook Vice President of Integrity Guy Rosen about footage they allegedly have of him saying that there's a, and I quote, a system that is able to freeze commenting when there could be hate speech. So I don't know why they're saying allegedly have him saying there's actually there was well well at this point there was video on the Twitter feed and it's direct it is the guy saying it I mean it's not cropped it's not edited it is real it's authentic apparently the excuse for going after them is that they look that they took the video in front of Rosen's home but according to Project Veritas the location is never mentioned nor are there any street signs so while it shows a street number on the house you have no idea where that is yeah so 
this was just BS. I mean, they they were making it like they were doxing this guy. Liberal reporters do this all the time to people, and they don't. And they some actually, you know, some other liberals will dox people in their location where they live. But speaking about getting canceled, just why I just figured I'd bring that up as well. They just got canceled, which which sucks because he was doing a really good job infiltrating. Now he's apparently this wasn't as a concerted effort as it was to get Trump off the platform. So Project Veritas still has their account on, I think, Instagram and Facebook. If you want to follow them there, they still put up some content. And I'm sure there's even more at this point that they have on them or on the big tech corporations. So this is where I'm going to get to my next point where, like I said, I'm not a big fan of boycotts. I like a free market, but the left continues to boycott conservatives in their entirety, in opinions. They can't even speak freely in this country anymore, so... At this, at this point, we need to boycott companies that disagree with us. And I don't mean just disagree. I mean go after people because because it's not them disagreeing with us alone. It's them taking the authoritarian actions to end people's livelihoods because they disagree with them. And once that happens, once, once you have Gina Carano get fired because she made it – because she's essentially a conservative, so she got fired for that reason – Disney Plus, everybody that is a conservative should just cancel their memberships, which I've seen a lot of, and I'm surprised on my page, I posted a couple things on the Federal's Files Facebook page, if you ever want to follow it, it is the Federal's Files Facebook page, it'll have the exact same thumbnail as my thumbnail of my videos, and the introduction uh, picture, the We the People, whatever. So I saw, I, I posted a couple things, but I was getting a lot of comments or people, and it's not a huge page. We had about a 600 person following on the page. A lot of people are canceling their Disney Plus that they already had, and they're done with it because they're not going to deal with it anymore. At this at this point, it has gotten so almost insurmountable in a sense where it feels like the entire thing is crashing down on you if you're a conservative. I get to the point where I get on this show every you know every couple of days and I think to myself, when is it that I'm gone? When am I going to be canceled? When are they going to delete my Facebook page and then make it like I did something? Like right now, my Facebook page is open for a while. I was posting now. Apparently, I'm all now once again, I am a spammer account. I've not been able to share to a group in two days now. Anything. So, you know... When is it that I'm gone too? And I'm not even popular. I'm thinking they're starting with Trump. They're going down to, you know, they're going down the ladder of importance. And eventually I'll probably get nailed on the very, very end just because I don't have as wide of a scope. Uh, you know, they'll hit everybody else and then I'll be at the very end. I'm thinking. So Dallas Mavericks stopped playing the national anthem. This is an ESPN.com article. And it's interesting because ESPN actually seemed to have a lot more information on this rather than the news is why I uh, I went with them. Didn't have an author, which was I thought was kind of weird. So Cuban, Mark Cuban came out saying, oh, well, we haven't been playing the national anthem before our games in, at the Dallas Mavericks Stadium. Now, apparently he got some sort of go-ahead from, from Adam Silver, who was the NBA commissioner. Now, standing for the anthem is part of the rules in the NBA. That is the discretion of the commissioner to enforce it or not. He has not been enforcing it for probably the last two or three years at this point. Um, when they went to Adam Silver and they said, hey, we don't want to play the national anthem anymore, he said, I'm fine with that. And then once they got called out on it, and you've been noticing the NBA, I think, in their ratings have definitely for sure tanked 
when the LA Lakers won the finals, it was kind of almost like no one cared. <laughs> um, football is much more important. Football still has a lot of anti-America sentiment. Sentiment. Now, football in their last, their ratings from what I've read are apparently it, it was something like um, from like the eighties. The numbers, the numbers are similar to what the 80s numbers are. From what I read, the 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 late 80s, early 90s with that great quarterback. I'm drawing a blank right now that played for Denver. I can't remember his name, but you guys know what I'm talking about. So the NBA has been losing numbers, and I've been noticing this. Adam Silver, you know, the first, he was at the forefront, being all about uh, BLM, all this other stuff. Now suddenly, <clears throat> they've changed their course over the last year near the very end of the season he said okay we made our point we're going to change our courts back to what they were i remember him saying this and coming out and really wasn't covered much by the media so because they're they're losing their ratings are tanking because of this in america they're tanking in china they're probably staying at the same rate if not going higher because the chinese like anti-america sentiment they get paid 30 about a third of these guys paychecks is paid through china because china the the viewership in china is uh exponentially higher than it is here i guess well there's huge fans over there so just to just to give you the the timeline on how fake Mark Cuban is on all this. I think Mark Cuban, every move now, at this point, it's actually been clear to me, much much more clear than ever before, because I, I liked him. I watched Shark Tank and stuff. And then I noticed some of his comments he made. He was a pro-Trump guy before he got elected, and then after, he was, like, hating on Trump all the time. He's kind of changes his opinions. He's all wishy-washy. I think he does whatever he can possibly do. He has absolutely not one patriotic bone in his body. Every single thing he does is just for the money factor of doing it. So, in 2017, and this is in the very beginning when they when they first when Colin Kaepernick taking knees during the national anthem, in 2017, Cuban voiced a different opinion after then President Donald Trump criticized NFL players who were kneeling during the anthem to protest social injustice and police brutality. He stated, "This is America, and I'm proud of people who speak out civilly. That's who we are as a country." Cuban said at the same time. I'll be standing there with my hand over my heart, and I think the players will be standing. I expect them to be. As the owner, I expect them to be standing for the national anthem. So that's what he says, right? Um, he didn't say that last part. I just added that on. But he did say, I think the players will be standing. I expect them to be. So then three years later, <laughs> Three years later, as the Black Lives Matter movement continued to grow, Cuban explained what changed his mindset. He stated, and I quote, Because I think we've learned a lot since 2017, I think we've evolved as a country, and this is really a unique point in time where we can grow as a society. We can grow as a country and become far more inclusive and become far more aware of the challenges that minority communities go through. So, I'll stand in unison with our players, whatever they choose to do. But again, when our players in the NBA do what's in their heart, when they do what they feel represents who they are and look to move this country forward when it comes to race relationships, I think that's a beautiful thing and I'll be proud of them. End quote. And that was in 2017, or, or I'm sorry. That was in June, I think, of this year. And then in an interview, 
with ESPN's Outside the Lines, he states, if they were taking a knee and they were being respectful, I'd be proud of them. Hopefully I'd join them. Cuban added then that he hoped the league would allow players to do what's in their heart, whether it's holding their arm up in the air, whether it's taking a knee, whatever it is. I don't think this is an issue of respect or disrespect to the flag or the anthem or to our country. I think this is more a reflection of the players' commitment to this country and the fact that it's so important to them that they're willing to say what's in their heart and do what they think is right. So he's changed his. He he went from being I'm expecting everyone to stand with their heart, uh, their hand over their heart, and then over the next three years, he's gotten more and more liberal. Where he's, he just doesn't really care what they do at this point. He thinks that standing for the whether whatever you do isn't disrespectful to the anthem. And I always I always source this when the the football teams, the United States football teams, went to uh, Great Britain to play a game. I don't remember who the te- two teams were. You know. They took a knee for our national anthem, and then when the great Brit- the British national anthem started playing, they stood up. And the question was, why did you guys stand up for the British national anthem? And they said, oh, well, we didn't we didn't want to disrespect the anthem. <laughs> so this this is something that doesn't once again this doesn't resonate. I think I think that Cuban's idea is he's looking for to be this hub of acceptance. In the NBA, he kind of goes with the tide, whichever. He pretty much licks his finger, he puts it up in the air, and he sees whichever the way the wind is blowing, and then that's the way he goes, he shifts. And because of that, he, he wants he wants to get players like James Harden, he wants to sign these big names, and he thinks they'll all come to Dallas if he's inclusive, and he does the whole liberal genuflecting upon them thing. He thinks that they will come to play for his, his team. And that's, that's really the moral of the story here. And then when Jen Psaki is asked about it, this is what she has to say. Uh, play two. Serving in uniform. President Biden think about the Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban, uh, deciding to indefinitely stop playing the national anthem before his National Basketball Association games. Well, I, I haven't spoken with the president about the decision by Mark Cuban on the Dallas Mavericks, uh, or the, I should say the national anthem, but I know he's incredibly proud to be an American and has great respect for the anthem and all that it represents, especially for our men and women serving in uniform around the world. He'd also say uh, that, of course, that part of, the, of pride in our country means recognizing moments where we as a country haven't lived up to our highest ideals, which is uh, often uh, and at times what people are uh, speaking to um, uh, when they take action at sporting events. Uh, And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. That's why he ran for president in the first place, um, and uh, that's what he's focused on doing every day. So you kind of get a lukewarm answer from the Biden administration. Uh, The weird weird where she has to say, she has to just state forthright that Biden is pro-America and he's very patriotic. I think there's... It's almost weird. It's like, it's like you have to continue to tell people that this guy's pro-America and he's patriotic. I, I don't know. I just I just think the reiteration is just to me very odd and very weird. So not really much from her. You don't really hear much. They don't really. They're not pro-America. Well, you know, the Trump response that you would have got was he would have trashed them for it, and you're not going to see that with this administration. So Biden and and once again, I just want to make this clear. Everyone has their First Amendment right to protest or whatever the heck you want to do, but. 
the optics of doing it when you make millions of dollars playing a game just don't look good to people that actually work and then when they get home and they want to relax and they want some sort of leisurely activity or entertainment they have to sit down and they have to watch you be, be big crybabies on national television so Biden next, he he scraps the plan to track Chinese influence in U.S. schools. And I think this is an important story. It hasn't really been reported much. Daily Wire article written by Ryan Savidra. He does very good work at the, uh, at the Daily Wire. So it states, Democrat President Joe Biden has reportedly canceled a plan put in place by the Trump administration that would track the rising influence of the Chinese Communist Party in the U.S. education system. Uh, around 500 K through 12 schools and 65 colleges in the U.S. have partnerships with the Confucius Institute U.S. Center, a U.S.-based inf- affiliate of the Beijing-based Confucius Institute headquarters. The institute, also known as Hanban, is affiliated with the Chinese Ministry of in- Education. The Daily Caller News Foundation reported. Many of Hanban's directors are members of the Chinese Communist Party or have close ties to the organization. The Trump administration submitted a rule at the very end of last year titled, and I quote, Establishing Requirement for Student and Exchange Visitor Program Certified Schools to Disclose Agreements with Confucius Institutes and Classrooms. The new Biden administration withdrew the proposed rule to the Department of Homeland Security just a few days after Biden was inaugurated. Uh, Axios reported the rule would require colleges and K-12 schools that are certified to have foreign exchange students to disclose any contracts, partnerships, or financial transactions from Confucius institutes or classrooms. Uh, A report from the Senate from the Senate's Permanent Select Committee on Investigations found that nearly 70% of schools receiving more than 250000 from organizations related to, Chinese, to the Chinese government did not report the funding as legally required. End quote. So 70% of schools that were getting this money from organizations that are that are closely linked, well, to begin with, they're linked to China, and then they're also closely linked to the Chinese Communist Party. 70% of the schools didn't even report the money coming through. Uh, China has for, and and this is probably something that's actually not known. This isn't really mainstream. China has been influencing and, and especially college educations, but college facilities or university, they have been influencing and peddling money and pushing, pushing money through these facilities to influence them on how they teach to, I guess, destroy America from within, I guess, is the mentality and the, and the battlefield tactics of the Chinese at this point. And uh, they're in our education system. They have deep ties in our government. Uh, The Biden administration obviously isn't taking this seriously. There's another article I was reading is Biden called all of the world leaders with the exception and, and including our enemies. I think that only two that he has yet to call is North Korea and Israel. So there's no connection with... Netanyahu, who was their prime minister, I think I have an article on that at the very end. And obviously, Biden has reached out to Iran, you know, all all of our enemies. I think he's even reached out to Russia, too. So next, I have Tucker Carlson speaking a little bit deeper about this connection with China in in our government. But in a very surprising way, uh, Biden's CIA pick... 
apparently has some deep ties to China. Uh, play clip three. U.S. Ambassador to Russia in 2014, he left government to lead the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, a very influential U.S. think tank that has close ties to China. In fact, one of Carnegie's global centers is based in Beijing. And during his time as president of Carnegie, William Burns brought in Chinese businessman Zhang Yichen to join the board of trustees. Zhang is a wealthy Chinese investor and member of two organizations linked to the Chinese Communist Party. According to the Daily Caller News Foundation, between July of 2017 and the end of 2020, Zhang donated between $750,000 to $1.5 million to Carnegie. The think tank says the donations do not support research projects in the U.S., but some say it's not the money, it's the influence, because while Burns was at Carnegie, it also received donations from the China-United States Exchange Foundation, or CUSEF, which is a Hong Kong-based think tank. But a global research firm led by former Intel officials from the U.S. says that CUSEF's lobbying activities in the U.S., quoting here, allows it to play a valuable role in Beijing's efforts to sway public opinion and build influence in America. And all of this is why Republicans have repeatedly questioned whether Joe Biden will confront China for its human rights abuses and unfair trade practices or allow China to keep cheating. Tucker. Unbelievable. Trace Gallagher, thanks so much. Yep. Again, we're not talking about the nominee to run the Department of the Interior. We're talking about the CIA director, ties to China, insanity, but not the... Just to recap, William J. Burns, that is the nominee for CIA director. Uh, he's the president of the prominent think tank that has, and this is the Carnegie Center, that has received as much as $2 million in recent years from a Chinese businessman and a think tank with links to the Chinese Communist Party. So this Chinese businessman, they, they mentioned his name, I can't really remember it. A, uh, as part of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace's work with China, Burns invited a group of congressional staffers on a junket to China in 2019 where they met with a professor who works for the Chinese Communist Party's Central Committee. They also met with the president of a prominent Chinese front group, Zhang Chen, a Carnegie board member and prominent donor is a member of the Chinese People's Political Consultative uh, Conference, which advises the Chinese Communist Party on policy issues. So that's just a quick recap synopsis. So this is, like I said, the Daily Wire piece. It's very uh, in-depth if you want to read it yourself and check out even more information. So Biden's CIA pick, and, and this is these, these next four years, people are saying, oh, um, I think Biden, uh, I want to say his administration said something like, we're going to fight, we're going to fight China strong, this, whatever, whatever, we're going to get, I'm just going to be honest with you folks, we're going to get, China's going to eat our lunch the next four years, uh, they're going to own us the next four years, whether it's on trade, whether it's, it's, we're not going to be making American, as many American made products as we were before, I know a lot of our manufacturing has moved over to China, uh, we do our little military We'll, we'll bring our military over there and we'll do our demonstrations to try to intimidate China. China doesn't care. China continues to uh, take influence and influence our government by lobbyists lobbying. And, and it's pretty obvious with what they do. These people are all connected to the Chinese Communist Party and they own these big corporations. And the reason they own these big corporations or businesses is because the government puts them into those power positions in communism. That's the way it works.
Uh, you got the power structure, the government's the ultimate power structure, and they can kill people off, hire fire, they can do whatever they want with any organization that they please. So what they'll do is they'll just put one of their guys, one of their cronies, in a position of power, and then that person plays the lobbying and the influence. Uh, so, so I think China is definitely once again they are they are a very uh, formidable opponent, but also very dangerous. They're very dangerous, and they have their hand in our government, and it's not really being reported and it seems like it's not really a dire threat everyone looks at russia who if you compare them gdp it's not even close who has power uh military strength it's just not even close if you compare russia and china the two we should really much more be worried about china especially out of the entire world i think china's our number one adversary that we should be worried about uh russia is if i had to pick russia i guess would be maybe i don't even know if russia would be number two to be honest with you just because of how bad their economy is i think it may be iran and then north korea and then and then russia after them so next what i have is i have a u.s government brokers a meeting looking to promote a taliban pipeline in the middle east and and that's right that's what i said the taliban pipeline in the middle east so is a washington examiner piece and this is perplexing here michael rubin it's written by our our new administration has brokered a deal and it's not and it's between Turkmenistan the Turkmenistanian government and the Taliban for a trans Afghanistan pipeline to bring Turkmen gas across Afghanistan and Pakistan to India so this is going to go from Afghanistan Pakistan India and Turkmenistan this is a pipeline our government uh helped broker the deal so in our in our country ourselves we cannot own a pipe but no pipelines for us but we can broker deals for the taliban a a, a terrorist group an extremist group <laughs> we we can broker the deal between them and the leaders of other countries if this scheme sounds familiar, it should. It was the same deal that now Special Envoy Zalmay Khalizad sought to make with the Taliban in the years before the September 11th terror attack when he was a consultant for the Unicall Corporation. Z uh, Khalizad's scheme was bad policy two decades ago, and it is even worse now. Put aside environmental arguments and consider profit freedom houses latest freedom in the world report ranks turkmenistan as among the world's worst offenders uh below even north korea in terms of freedom and civil liberties to promote the export of turkmen gas is to entrench its regime even further part of the deal is then paying the taliban protection money or transit fees for the pipeline tran transiting afghan territory not only would this undermine the elected afghanistan government even further but it would also reward the taliban for insurgency to the tune of tens of millions of dollars each month who who needs russian bounties on u.s soldiers when the state department has crafted a scheme to reward the taliban beyond their wildest dreams End quote. So this will actually also cause much more upheaval, upheaval and um, infighting within the Middle East to begin with because there's Taliban, there's ISIS, there's Al-Qaeda, um, 
a lot of them are somewhat related. Uh, it was, some of them were Mujahideen sh- soldiers from the Afghan war that switched over, became Taliban, and then Taliban, once they were kind of battled, they were conquered a little bit. Then they came back as Al-Qaeda. But there's also a bunch of very small insurgency groups as well that are in, that are in the Middle East. There will be a fight over this oil. Oil is money over there. You know, it, it is, it's, it's a world stage uh, currency. There will be a fight over this position, the idea of being able to defend the pipelines, unless if the Taliban is really that powerful and that strong. But the more, more important thing is that we are giving a country, Turkmenistan, who is worse than North Korea in their civil rights violations, we are brokering a deal between them and the Taliban, and obviously America must be getting some sort of cut or some sort of good, you know, what we see think is a good deal on on oil because of this, but we could have just been doing this and we could have been self-reliant in the United States. And then this could also turn into, this can also turn into another war that we don't want to have to fight because there's, to me, it seems like there's no reason to be in the Middle East. Next one I have, and this is just a quick one here, Red State article, North and South Dakota fighting back against executive orders. So they came out with this House Bill 1164, and this, I believe, is in South Dakota in particular, submitted by Republican State Representative Tom Kading. So the state legislature is fighting right now, and and I would I would love this idea to go uh, nationwide in every single state, which it won't in New Jersey because we're hacks. But hopefully, for all the conservative states, this will they'll go ahead with this. It's the idea that. Any executive order action that does not coincide or does not follow the Constitution, North and South Dakota is just going to deem it as unconstitutional and they will not follow whatever executive order, whatever mandate the president decides to take down. So, the the and, and it reads, the legislative management may review any executive order issued by the President of the United States, which has not been affirmed by a vote of the Congress of the United States and signed into law as prescribed by the Constitution of the United States, and recommend to the Attorney General and the Governor of the Executive Order be further reviewed upon recommendation from the legislative management the attorney general shall re- review the executive order to determine the constitutionality of the order and whether the state should seek an exemption from the application of the order or seek to have the order declared to be an unconstitutional exercise of legislative authority by the president so to me to put in simpler terms is they're going to the legislative they're they're recognizing that executive orders are something that are not constitutional to begin with because the legislative branch has not come through they have not signed the law they have not written written the law and then then confirmed it and then it hasn't been brought to the president's desk it has not been the legitimate constitutionally laid out process of enacting and creating law so upon anything that comes through like an executive order on firearms for example they will they will send it to their governor and their what do they say the attorney general and they will look through see if the executive order to them seems like it's constitutional and if it isn't then they just say okay well we don't we don't care about your executive order so that'd be pretty awesome if if that happened uh, countrywide I'm definitely sympathetic to that for sure so and this is where I get to the economics here part of the show some very interesting information here. It shows that we are, economically, we're actually not in that bad of shape, but spending deficit-wise, we are in terrible shape. 
So the federal deficit uh, to hit $2.3 trillion in 2021, I reported a little bit of this last uh, week or last show. Washington Examiner piece, it is written by Tyler Van Dyke. So it starts. The federal government 2021 deficit at $2.3 trillion will be the second largest annual deficit since World War II, the Congressional Budget Office projected Thursday. While the fiscal year 2021 expected budget shortfall is projected to be roughly $900 billion less than the deficit in 2020. <clears throat> the projection only includes current legislation if the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package making its way through Congress is passed in full. The deficit could skyrocket to beat even last year's deficit. The project uh, defi- projected deficit is $450 billion larger than the budget office projected in September, yet projected deficits over the next 10 years were adjusted lower by $345 billion. Thanks to improved economic conditions, the report found that the costs of recently enacted legislation are partially offset by the effects of a stronger economy. In subsequent years, the largest changes stem from revisions to the economic forecast. The report reads, the uh, Congressional Budget Office now projects stronger economic activity, higher inflation, and higher interest rates, boosting both revenues and outlays, the former more than the latter. So that's that's kind of a problem as well. (laughs) So we got $2.3 trillion. It'll be the second largest since World War II. And, you know, our last year, the deficit will be roughly, it will be less from last year. But if they come through with this $1.9 trillion relief package, obviously the deficit's going to increase. And it'll probably surpass last year's deficit. Yes, it will skyrocket. So $450 billion larger than the budget offices projected in September. But... Over the next 10 years, it will adjust to lower by $345 billion, thanks to economics. So what we're seeing is economic conditions are doing well. Our economy is doing well. We have strong business owners. We have strong businesses. We, I mean, yes, we just got decimated. All of our small businesses got decimated. But the reason why the stock market right now is currently, and I think it's somewhat inflated myself, and it's kind of due to a correction, but this is something we've been saying now for four years. Uh, oh, it's due for a correction, because usually due for a correction, something like it goes, I think, in eight-year cycles. So we were due for the correction in the uh, Trump administration. It didn't happen because of lower tax rates, deregulation, which, which spurred an economy. Now, what's interesting is here, I don't know if it's exactly that our economy has found different ways to innovate in this last year because of all the restrictions that they had to work under, or if it's just that our, our economy is that strong already to begin with, and it's going to continue as things start to open up. So essentially, our, our business owners, our economy, our innovation is very good in this country right now. And that is somewhat making up for our because <clears throat> that's compensating for our outrageous spending. So our government is doing a horrible job. Our business owners and our business and our workers are doing a pretty good job, pretty solid job keeping this thing afloat right now. That's what it seems like. But what we're going to see is we're going to see more stronger economic activity because of the amount of printing that we're doing. There is going to be higher inflation. If you have an economy, your economy is built up of 100 cars each 
and 100 cars are in that economy and that is all you have that is all the assets that are on the market in your economy and you have $1,000 in the economy as well. Every single car is going to be $10. As soon as you say, oh, well, we want everyone to own a car, so we're going to print out another 1000 That will double the price of the car. The car will now be, that will now be $20 because those assets have to soak up all of the money that is in fluctuation in the system. So there's going to be higher inflation no matter what when they print more money because unless if there's some sort of assets that are in the market to match that actual money that they're printing, that money that they're printing becomes meaningless when there's nothing to match it. When there's no assets uh, improved or added to the economy and all of our goods and services are out there and they're all the same as they were before, maybe we see, let's say, a 2% increase in GDP because that 2% increase... And, and we go and we print out, you know, a 10% more money in what's in circulation than the inflation rate at that point has to be 8% because there's nothing to match. There, there's an 8% disparity of nothing to match that. There's no assets to match the 10%. There's only 2% increased GDP. And then we're increasing our money flow by 10%. We're printing out 10% more money. So this is a serious problem we have to worry about now. The higher interest rates, that will be to soak up the inflation. And the only good thing, and I've mentioned this before, but not on this uh, show, I, I mentioned it like on the Federal's papers a while ago, the one and, and probably the only good thing about inflation is we look at our deficit, our deficit is around 30 trillion. If we see inflation rates in the in the times 100, then in the future, that 30 trillion in debt still is at 30 trillion. So if we see, so for example, to run our budget every single year, it costs $4 trillion about every single year to run the regular budget without all the COVID relief uh, bills or any of that. It is $4 trillion every single year. If we see an increase in inflation by 1,000 times, which would make it, or by 1,000%, let's say 1,000%, which is a 10-time increase, then that means for us to run our budget every year, it's going to have to cost us $40 trillion. Because it's $40 trillion, and but but guess guess what stays the same? That debt, no matter what, stays at $30 trillion, and that's that's all it is. There may be some sort of interest, but the interest is nowhere near. It's it's not going to increase vastly. So that $40 trillion that we're now paying into our budget because of inflation, let's say we finally figure out the spending situation, and now we're taking in as a government... 50 trillion every single year we end up paying off the budget we end up paying off the debt quickly in three years that is the only good thing that i could possibly think about at this point from inflation that would help us pay off the debt otherwise inflation almost an and inflate mass inflation really it hurts middle class families it hurts lower class families as well um and the higher interest rates are due to that because you have to increase the interest rates to help pay for or to um What's the word? To soak up the inflation. That's the reason for the higher interest rates. Because now you're paying more for the assets, thus kind of soaking up the inflation. You're putting more money, you're investing more money in things into these assets. And these assets are kind of worth more and you're putting some sort of money to add value. The extra money is really just adding extra value to the house. That's the point of it. And by adding extra value to the house, it adds extra value to the economy. So there's actually some sort of value to match the mass inflation value that you just got hit with on the money printing. I just tried to do my best to explain that. It's a little confusing, but 
I'm going to go on here. And, and this, this actually gives you some legitimate numbers about our estimated gross domestic product, which is our GDP, which is kind of like, you know, another word for all the assets that are in our economy. I like to use the word assets because it simplifies it a little bit more. So, so the piece reads, the report also projects that the government will continue to rack up annual deficits in excess of $1 trillion through 2031. Increasing to as much as 5.7% of gross domestic product in 2031. The projected 2.3 trillion 2021 shortfall by comparison is 10.3% of the GDP. The annual deficit in 2020 was more than 14%. The total federal debt already at 100% of GDP is expected to swell in 2021 to 102% before dipping for a few years. But by 2031, total debt is expected to hit 107% of GDP, the highest debt to GDP the country's ever experienced. So to try to simplify the terms here, every single year, we usually run a deficit of $1 trillion every normal year, not covid it's a $1 trillion deficit, so our budget's $4 trillion. We only raised $3 trillion in taxation, so we have a deficit of $1 trillion that becomes debt. Usually, it's $1 trillion, and they're saying this Congressional Budget Office is saying it's going to be a trillion every single year all the way to 2031, where it will increase. It'll be in excess of $1 trillion, increasing to as much as 5.7% of the GDP. So our GDP every single year from what I understand, it's around like 30, I think it's something like 30 trillion. So that's how many assets, businesses, you know, success we have going on in the economy. We got five, we got 30 uh, trillion. So our, our deficit every single year is 5.7% of what the GDP is or what it's going to be. Now, the projected 2.3 trillion is, is 10.3% of what the annual GDP is. It all makes it's it's all it's just saying okay so we're having a, a deficit that in comparison what all the assets in our economy are it's eventually going to run us up to the point where we have more debt than we do assets and then that's really when you get to the point where the lender the person that's lending the money is no longer going to lend the money anymore whether it's other countries whether it's smaller donors that are giving the money out when America is not going to make good on their promise when you realize that all the debt that they hold isn't even worth as much as what their economy is worth. It's almost like when you say, well, I'm going to take, you have your mortgage, you pay your house off. And then you say, Hey, this house is worth a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to put this up to get a loan. And you decide to get the loan and you want a $1 million loan. I just don't, the and, and they look at your income, your income is what you use to get this house. And they know you're not going to be able to pay back that $1 million loan. Because the asset that you put up, which is, is only $100,000, it's not even close to equal what that loan is. Essentially, that's the way that I'm that that's the best way to explain it is we're right now we're getting a loan that is worth more than our economy is. And, and they and it's becoming to the point where the loaner is going to start going, okay, well, how are you guys going to pay us back? And then we just won't get the loans anymore. And then there will be a destitution from people that are on government programs because that's really where most of the money goes to. Two-thirds of our money go to government programs. It's in social safety nets. It's in social programs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, uh, welfare, stuff of that nature. It's all social safety net systems. Two-thirds of our, our uh, system is that. 
So more importantly, and, and this is where they say we are already at 100% of the GDP. Our debt is about as much as the country is worth at this point. And by 2021, it's going to be 102%. In 2031, we're going to hit 107%. And this is where you get really dicey now when the debt is worth more than everything else that's in the economy. So that's just an interesting article. If you want to share it, I'm going to try to cut this into a smaller clip, share it with some of your friends just to try to understand what's going on. Um, it is a Washington Examiner article. Once again, everything I reference will be in the description below. I'll have it under show notes, uh, like a show notes tab. And this is the very last article I have here. And it's also has, has a little bit to do with the economy. Uh, gas hits highest price in 12 months. Fox Business... Uh, is a Fox Business piece written by Lucas Manfredi. Now, the average price of gas in the United States has hit a 12-month high, according to the new data Thursday from GasBuddy. And GasBuddy is like an app that you use to look at different gas prices. The average retail gas price in the United States is now $2.50 per gallon after soaring from the average price of $1.74 per gallon. In April 2020, in February of last year, Gas Buddies report uh, charts show that gas prices were about $2.42 per gallon and proceeded to rise slightly before plummeting as the coronavirus pandemic spread across the country. Now, <clears throat> the new data comes as President Biden is facing pressure from progressive rep. Ilhan Omar to cancel the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline. Uh, where was I here? Pipeline project, as well as a letter signed by dozens of celebrities to shut down the Dakota Access pipeline for good. So, at this Dakota Access pipeline, the Enbridge, the Enbridge uh, Line 3 pipeline project i think is something that's new the dakota access pipeline's been around for a very long time i think since the 60s now they're rebuilding it they want to cancel both of them so the enbridge enbridge defended the project in a statement to fox business highlighting the multiple reviews and approvals that they received by regulatory and permitting bodies before construction um and the company said, Enbridge has demonstrated ongoing respect for tribal sovereignty as the result of negotiations with tribal leadership. Line 3 was routed outside the, Le the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe Reservation and through the reservation of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Uh, both Leech Lake and Fond du Lac have spoken and written repeatedly in support of project permits. So so what we have is we have a, a, a business, we have a company that has actually received confirmation from these two tribes that are in the area that now the now these big celebrities in Ilhan Omar somehow represent them and say, oh, well, these people are st too stupid. These people over here, they're too stupid to decide for themselves what they want to do with their land. We're going to decide for them, and we're going to make it like this is all about race, and, and this is like a racist move to make this company back down. So just if anybody wants to hear, we have to, more than 200 celebrities, climate activists, indigenous leaders, and more have signed a letter calling on the Biden administration to continue its commitment 
if you just want to hear the names of the, just so you know who not to support when your gas prices go up. Alyssa Milano, Leonardo DiCaprio, Scarlett Johansson, Ryan Reynolds, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Jason Momoa, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Marissa Tomei, Jaqueen Phoenix, uh, Jane Fonda, Don Cheadle, Ed Helm, Cher, Chelsea Handler, Ava DuVernay, and Amy Schumer. Uh, the usual suspects. Those those are all the liberal. Uh, generally, those are all just liberal celebrities. A lot of them are from the Avengers movies, if you notice some of the names. So these people are, they, they think that some of these tribes that live in this area are, are too stupid to make decisions for themselves and they should, as the celebrity class, and, and really they have nothing, absolutely nothing that they add to our society we could do without them. Um, the people that lay brick, the people that are electricians, people that, truck drivers, people that work in the service industry in a general sense, no matter what j job you really, I mean, you can completely live happily without the celebrities and what they do the things that they do are not conducive to our society like to me i don't even watch any of them i, I don't even have time to do to watch what they do but we can easily live without them they do not do things that that are a net good for the society that help us actually function as a society um, but they think that they're smart enough because they're on tv they're on tv screens every once in a while they think that they're smart enough and they're better than all of you, and they should be able to make the decisions for the indigenous tribes that live in the area that agreed to have, because I'm sure there's probably some sort of huge subsidy or huge kickback, because the fact that they're going through parts of their land to create, they created this pipeline that goes through parts of their land, I can only imagine the amount of money that, uh, that some of these tribes are getting for this. And that's probably why they agreed to the deal. And then also I was reading something like these, uh, these tribes agree to these deals and then they get subsidies and then they use that subsidies to actually pay for their own little economy that they have going on and for their people, whether it's, whether it's education or whether it's some sort of social system, but this is all, this is done for their community. This, this that's the reason that they agree to this, but we have the celebrity class just want to take that out of their hands for them because, you know, to, to them, what they think is more important than what the indigenous people that live on the land think. Um, so next, now this is this is the part of the show where I get through all the headlines, just to end it here. I got a couple big ones. that I, went, I, I mentioned a couple of them. So Nikki Haley slams Trump. That's a political piece. It's, it's become very prominent. Uh, I always knew Nikki Haley myself. I never was a fan. I always thought she was kind of a hack. I always thought... She was like the, the stereotypical politician. She just says what sounds good. Um, ben Shapiro was pushing her big time like a couple of years ago. I don't know how he feels about her now. She's considering he's like the libertarian guy. She's not libertarian at all in her practice. It's it's She's pretty milk toasty Republican. She's not really even like a conservative, to be honest with you. She I'm pretty sure she was in favor of red flag laws as well as Dan Crenshaw. So th those people are kind of... To me, they're not, they're like just kind of Republicans. They're not really conservatives. So there's, and she'll do whatever she can because she knows if Trump runs in this next election, she's going to have to go up against them head to head. Um, I would really hope if, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if I've seen Candace Owens come out and say that she's going to be running, I don't know if she, how serious she is about running for president, but I would much rather vote for Candace Owens than vote for Nikki Haley uh, representing the Republican Party. 
for sure. And obviously, uh, President Trump or what's his name, the other one, DeSantis. And that's another story here. Speaking, so so you got the establishment Republicans over here trying to make to pave their way to a presidency. And this is remember Nikki Haley, somebody that worked for Trump. She was a national security. I think she was she was like the national security leader at the UN conferences. She represented the United States. She was the U.S. ambassador. And before that, I think she was the governor of South Carolina. So, so she was, she was okay with Trump when she was on his team, but now she's no longer part of his team. So she turns around and, you know, pretty much jabs him in the back and then turns the knife. So she was talking about in this article, she was talking about how Trump didn't handle the situation correctly and how he incited violence and all this other stuff. And, and I think, uh, you know, did the Mitch McConnell thing, essentially turn around and stab him in the back. Now, Biden may restrict travel to Florida. So you have her doing what she's doing. Now you have Ron DeSantis. He's the governor in Florida. And there's word coming out that the Biden administration may restrict travel to Florida because of their new strain. And there's absolutely no science uh, to back this up. That And if there is science to back this up, it's not, oh, there's a new strain that's running rampant in Florida and it's not running rampant anywhere else in the United States. It's just not the truth. This is being done for political reasons because Ron DeSantis has done a good job handling the situation and he's a Republican. And this is his response uh, in video. Play four. There was some type of report about potential travel restrictions on Americans and on Floridians. Uh, and I just, I think it's an absurd report uh, that they would be doing that. I think it would be unconstitutional, it would be unwise, and it would be unjust. So we will oppose it 100%. It would not be based in science. It would purely be a political attack against the people of Florida. So he says then it's unclear uh, why they're doing this because there's no science to back this up or facts to back this up, which is right. There isn't any. There's been none presented. Uh, by the Biden administration. This is just a straight up political move because he's done a good job managing COVID. He has not made people wear masks on mass. He hasn't really shut down the state. They actually ended up bringing in a surplus of, of money through taxation over there because people are moving there and they kept their businesses generally open. So there's been um, economic explosion, actually, if you think about it in Florida, because a lot of these parks were also closed for a long time and, and they make a lot of money through the parks too. And the fact that they can make up for that in just regular taxation means that they must have been doing a pretty solid job over there. And, uh, yeah, and this this would be – and then they have a little clip of Marco Rubio talking about this would be pretty much unconstitutional to begin with because there's no actual data that you can even use to support the move here. It's, it's all just political. So the reason of having the union itself – and then this also goes with the Equal Protections Clause – of the uh, constitution i think that's the 14th amendment you can't go against you can't treat one state differently than another state and you can't tr treat one citizen differently than another citizen that's the point of having this union you should be able to go interstate one state to another without having to show some sort of passport or something of that nature that was the point of having the union itself so it's an unconstitutional mandate if he goes forward with it anyway so a year without uh, a combat death in Afghanistan. This is a Bongino.com piece. So we have not had a combat death in Afghanistan now in a full year. And I was reading, it's been, I think it's been something like uh, 15 years. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I was reading it and I forgot what the exact, oh, 20 years. Okay, so it's been 20 years since that has occurred. So we have been fighting wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, 
and this is the first time, first year without one combat death in Afghanistan. Uh, it's the first time in 20 years. So that's, we'll see what ends up happening. We'll see the future on that or uh, if we have a war in the Middle East once again. No new step in TikTok deal under Biden. This is Epic Times piece. TikTok is being pushed before to to sign up with an American company, to merge with them, uh, make them U.S. compliant, more accountability because TikTok's a Chinese company and apparently they were stealing information. There was worries of them stealing information, allegedly. Oh, we don't know. And... Under, under Biden now, there's no new step. They're not pushing anything to make TikTok merge and become much more compliant with the United States. So 14 state attorney generals considering legal options over pipeline decision. Uh, there's, there's 14 attorney generals generally in a lot of the red states, whether it was legislatively red states or is governor red states. But states that have the pipelines run through them are the states that... Uh, are thinking about pushing this lawsuit and, and they wrote a little letter they said if you guys further go on this we're, we're looking over our legal decisions that we can go ahead with so another one i thought this was interesting a daily caller piece army having second thoughts about gender neutral uh fitness testing so the army turned back their testing before it was for women they had a set standard and then for for men if you want to be in a combat standard Men had another standard. Uh, then they recently made it where it's gender neutral. All people have to do this or they have to do that. You know, there's certain levels of efficacy that they need. They recently turned this back because they probably found that women are not biologically the same as men. And they don't have the same strength. They don't They don't run as fast. There's certain things that they're not as good at. Uh, they're going to turn this back now, back to women and men. Now... I don't have a problem with the neutral. I like the idea of my, myself personally. I think for effectiveness in the battlefield, having the neutral fitness test is actually better because putting everyone to the same standard, everyone's going to have to carry their own weight if they're in a battlefield situation in a combat position. Now, in terms of if you're not in a combat position and you're in intelligence or something like that, yeah, sure, have, have two different gender training fitness tests to just test and say, okay, we want to make sure that all of our army personnel are in some sort of shape, just a general shape. But if we're talking about combat positions, we should actually have a gender-neutral fitness testing because because when it goes to, it comes to the battlefield, if you can't carry your rucksack as a woman – it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like we're we're not worried about. We're worried about effectiveness and efficiency and who can best do the job. It is a merit based system. We're not worried about being inclusive and because because at the end of the day, this is this isn't a big deal. Oh, I missed a project at work. Um, you know, I forgot to email this client. This is, it's not the same thing as that. It is you either live or you die. Those are the two differences. So next, uh, once again, Biden. And I mentioned this before, Biden has yet to call Israeli Prime Minister. That's a free beacon piece. Everything's going to be in the show notes. Uh, open border with Mexico. This is Mexico's president is saying that we don't have an open border. And then it's a Washington Examiner piece. And they go on to explain how we how we do have an open border. And apparently, uh, right now, I just read this like minutes before I started the show. Apparently, they're letting 25,000 people, illegal people, into the country at this point right now. So the and then very last one to end it here. We have the feds to investigate the GameStop situation. It's a Wall Street Journal article. 
And it's not what you've seen. The feds aren't investigating Robinhood or any of the other trading platforms for any type of malfeasant behavior to artificially deflate a stock. They're investigating a Reddit and they're going to investigate the individual buyers. And they really, there's nothing that they can do because this is something that the hedge funds have been doing for years. So unless if you guys enact a new policy to, to make sure and ensure that these, that the hedge funders aren't going to do the same thing, then nothing's going to get done from this. But it's just funny that the federal government, the government, I thought that this administration was supposed to be the party of the little guy. The administration of the party of the little guy tells his enforcement wing, his law enforcement wing of the federal government, to go and investigate the Wall Street bets with a bunch of uh, retail buyers, a bunch of regular people, rather than look into the platforms that artificially deflated the stock. They They cheated the game, so... Uh, it, it's just like, it, it, it's just like the kid when you're playing a basketball game and he ends up losing and he goes home with his ball because he's angry that he lost. So that'll be it for this one. I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Once again, just to recap Mondays and Fridays, I'll be doing Federalist paper, uh, Federalist paper episodes. And then in the middle of the week, usually Wednesday night going into Thursday morning, I'll have one current event and then i'll have the weekend special current event as always so i'll be doing four i'm going to cut back on the wednesday because i'm going to let you all uh, catch up i greatly appreciate you all for tuning in please like share subscribe and i will see you on monday thank you